the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,000. I forgot to look up how many fucking movies there are now. <laughs> you, were, you were too stuck on the oh. levels, of, levels of intricacy in this to got you distracted. Oh my God. I spent so much time trying to break down, like dramaturge this fucking thing that I forgot to look up how many movies they added. All right. So it's we watch and rank all 1,700. <coughs> Movies on Disney Plus. I'm Sean, and I'm here with my co-hosts Bob and Rob. How are you doing today, Bob? You know, I think I'm okay. <laughs> you just finished watching this thing. You literally turned it off and jumped into this podcast recording. I, I think I'm on level two right now. Out of what? Well, there's four levels to Inception, right? And there was at least five to that movie. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about levels, I, I described it at one point as incredibly racist, but confusingly racist. And then I said, it's an onion of racism. Every level is just a new type of racism. I know. And every time you'll peel back another layer, you're like, wow, I didn't realize how racist this onion could get. But here we go. We have to go one level deeper. <laughs> That is one racist <laughs> onion, man. Okay, yeah, we're, we're playing spot the racism right out of the gate with this. It's written into the dialogue to justify the racism. Oh, I know. Of, don't worry, there's shipwreck from different cultures all over the world, so <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Oh, I'm I'm Rob, and I'm good, too. <laughs> Rob is here, too. How are you doing this week, Rob? Good, good, good. Let's go back to the racism. Oh, my God. Okay, well, before we get to the racism, though, I got to tell you guys something. So nobody asked me how Sean is doing this week. How is Sean doing this week? Oh, Sean, Sean, how are you doing this week? Not well, guys. And and here's why. I think I broke my brain a little bit. (laughs) So last week, we watched three Freaky Friday movies, (laughs) one of which was the Disney Channel musical version of Freaky Friday that came out in 2018. Mm -hmm. And... It was painful to get through, and there were a lot of songs that can only charitably be called songs in the broadest definition, but for the last week, I have been able to do nothing except hear those songs going through my head. It's, it's, they are so inane. It's like Baby Shark, but it just won't leave. It's a good thing at the end of this movie, there's another catchy song. Oh my God. Well, the thing is, they're like, they're like earworms, but they're earworms in the way that the eel from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, (laughs) that drove Chekhov to suicide as an earworm. Like, it's, it's, it's destroying my brain. And I gotta say, when I sat down, To prepare for this episode, I was like, never again will we do a Disney Channel original movie. But what are we doing this week, Bob? (laughs) We are doing the Disney Channelist Disney movie we could have picked this week. The Even Stevens movie. The Even Stevens movie. (laughs) That I picked based solely on a thumbnail of my (laughs) cell phone that I couldn't recognize anything about. (sighs) Because I thought it was funny. And that you guys would have my back and be like, no, we're not going to pick that one. Don't worry, Baba, we got you. No, we picked it. Well, here's the thing. So this wasn't theatrically released, but from the best of my understanding, it A, 
calls itself a movie. <laughs> and B... It's right in there in the title. And B is one of the films that Shia LaBeouf watched when he sat down in a movie theater to watch all of his films in a row. So if Shia LaBeouf considers this a movie, I guess our podcast considers it a movie. And we did the Even Stevens movie. <laughs> That's a real thing Shia LaBeouf did. Yes. Yes. As an art project, he filmed himself watching all of his movies in a row. You can see memes of it online. God fucking damn it. <laughs> of him like crying at his own movies. So before we start, guys, uh, let's all tell everyone our history with the Even Stevens TV show. I'll go first. I haven't seen a damn episode of it. What about you, Sean? I've never seen an episode of the Even Stevens TV show. Bobby? I didn't know what the fuck it was. I saw a thumbnail. <laughs> Correct. So I was like, this is a movie? Yeah, this one. So we are three idiots going to review a movie not having seen any of the prior course material. Yeah, so this, this thing came out in 2003. It, it followed three seasons of a Disney Channel sitcom called Even Stevens. So three seasons in a movie or the half Abed. It was directed by Sean McNamara, who is famous from my childhood, for directing the one Three Ninjas movie that I was like, eh, I'll pass. <laughs> three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. <laughs> Not Three Ninjas Kick Back. All right, good. At least you saw that one. I think I've seen High Noon at Mega Mountain. <laughs> I think I have. I don't remember, but I think I have. It's the one that stars Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I've seen that one. The Sean McNamara original. All right, it stars Shia LaBeouf in his breakout role as Louis Stevens, the younger brother of the Stevens family. Uh, it co-stars Christy Carlson Romano uh, as Ren Stevens. She was also the voice of Kim Possible on Disney Channel around the same time. Oh, cool. uh, the family, the rest of the family is Tom Virtue, who plays Steve Stevens, <laughs> which I think might be the only funny joke in the movie. And it's not in the movie. It's just the concept <laughs> that his name is Steve Stevens. I, uh, I laughed Four times. All right. Well, we have to we have to flag them when they come up. There has to be like a ding. Bing. Yeah. That was the one time that Robbie. I will. Up. So uh, Tom Virtue plays Steve Stevens. If you look at his IMDb profile, the guy has been in a million things. He's one of those people that you recognize. You're like, what is he from? And the answer is everything. He's a character actor everything. who has been in one episode of every show that has ever filmed ever. Donna Pesco plays the mother, uh, Eileen Stevens. Uh, she also... Uh, was the mother in another 90s sitcom called Out of This World, which I thought I made up. I thought I imagined this TV show, and apparently it did exist. The premise of this show is an alien comes to Earth and moves in with a family as like a teenage girl. And this alien has one alien power. They have the ability to freeze time. I remember seeing this as a kid. I thought I made it up, but... In my research of this, I found out, no, that's a real show. And Donna Presco was the mother in it. <laughs> I thought, like, every kid made that show up. <laughs> I mean, I was friends with you back then. Maybe you talked about it or we watched it together, but maybe I made it up too. <laughs> it was a shared delusion. Every child had this shared delusion <laughs> around 1996, and it involved that show. Stephen Anthony Lawrence plays honorary surrogate member of the family Beans. Character's name is just Beans, I think. <laughs> and then Nick Spano plays Donnie Stevens, who is ostensibly the older brother, but is clearly a 40-year-old man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I believe he's 27 and he's going to college. He just graduated high school. Oh, he was actually 27? Yeah, he was 20. Yeah, he was born in 1976. 
I wrote he was 35. Like, that's how old I thought he, he was. He looks like a 40-year-old man. Like, legitimately. He looks like he's he's 21 jump-streeting this family. Like, he, <laughs> he somehow <laughs> tricks them into letting him live there. Paying and for his college. <laughs> but he's clearly like a 40-year-old man. Okay, there are a couple other members of the show that are relevant to the plot. A.J. Trouth, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, uh, plays... Uh, Shia's best friend Twitty. Margot Harshman plays Shia's girlfriend Tawny. Uh, and Josh Keaton plays a character named Jason who also goes, unfortunately, by the name of Mutai. And we will talk about that. <laughs> He's another one that, yeah, I actually had to look up. I was like, oh, that was Josh Keaton because dude's in like every fucking cartoon and video game. He's a huge voice actor. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. What's one of the major things? I just I thought it was uh, was looking at it, and he's the voice of he's uh, the one. The one for me that jumped out is he's the voice of Young Revolver Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. Yeah, that's what it was. I thought I thought they called him uh, like Muay Thai, like you know Thai mixed martial arts. No, just just just, just Muay Thai. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. I thought it was legitimately. They're just like, what's some sort of Thai saying? And they went with that. I, I I thought the same thing too. And then I just realized this was one giant episode of Spot the Racism. One final actor, special guest star, Tim Meadows, playing Miles McDermott. Yes, Tim Meadows himself. And uh, while we were watching it, Rob and I were texting each other saying, is Tim Meadows only in the movie or was he a regular cast member of Even Stevens? Because we don't know. We've never saw the show. He could easily have been playing Mr. Evans and Shia was Mr. Stevens. So we don't really know the answer to that. But those are the main cast members. There is one very, very special guest actor that we will not get into until it is absolutely necessary to speak his name. No spoilers yet. No. I honestly was like, how did they make an Even Stevens movie where Tim Timmy Meadows is the lead? Because <laughs> Tim Meadows is the lead in this movie. It's not Shia LaBeouf. No. No, he has very little screen time. It's not. It's Tim Meadows. He's the lead. Okay, so that's the background. Uh, like Bobby said, it very quickly becomes evident that this movie is another entry in our game of Spot the Racism. But unfortunately, this movie does not begin with Disney's famous, this film contains depictions <laughs> of minorities that are harmful or offensive. It begins with none of that. So this racism is a pleasant surprise. And by pleasant, I mean an unpleasant surprise. <laughs> Robbie, how does this movie start? <laughs> it starts off with extreme computer hacking from the 90s. I mean, he wasn't hacking, but that's what they were doing. Uh, Timmy Meadows is on a computer um, with sunglasses on because he's cool. And uh, he's narrowing down which family to uh, terrorize. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't know that yet. And then it says uh, that he's, they're perfect or something. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to uh, graduation day. Uh, the sister, Ren, the middle child, is graduating from high school. She's not graduating from high school. She's graduating from middle school. Oh, yeah, sorry, she's going into high school. I forgot. The actress is clearly... In her 20s? Well, she actually is 19, but she does not look like she's in middle school. I, yeah. To be fair, it's really hard to get those ages right, because people grow up very, very quickly. Grow up, yeah. So, the show ends, she's supposed to be leaving middle school... We're just, we just have to go with it. We just have to pretend like that makes the least bit of sense, even though, I mean, the fact that her older brother is 40 is the bigger problem in my mind. But at yeah. any rate, yes, they're graduating from middle school. Oh, I don't know. The bigger problem? <laughs> you know her character arc? Come on, man. 
I we need to figure out these character arcs. We'll talk about it. No, sorry, not her arc, but what they do, what happens to her in this show. Yeah. And she's going into high school, so she's 12, 13? Well, she's 15, I think. It's middle school, American middle school. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, because America's favorite reality TV show, to get a little spoiler, is just apparently let's sexually harass and assault this 15-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so the sister, she's graduating from high school. Um, the principal of the school, he's listing off all of, not high school, sorry, middle school, all of her cheese, all of her achievements. My favorite one was that uh, she was the president of the Overachievers Club. Um, that was a uh, ding. Yeah. That, that's a ding. <laughs> Is that a ding? No, that didn't make me laugh. I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. Oh, it didn't even make the top four. Okay. And uh, I guess we were introduced to our good friends. Lewis Stevens, Shia LaBeouf, and Beans by some hijinks. What are their hijinks? So somehow Shia LaBeouf has engineered a <laughs> beach ball to somehow... Remote-controlled hovering beach ball that has the power to defy gravity. And what does this child choose to do with this magical, levitating beach ball? But... To torment his sister while giving her valedictorian speech. We'll go with that. To, like, mildly torment her. He's just, like, bouncing it in her peripheral vision. (laughs) I got a genuine laugh here. Beans uh, wants to have a go at the remote. And Shia LaBeouf says to him, this is not a toy. This is my job. This is what I do. (laughs) All right. I was like, he took it so seriously. He said this was his job. Ding. I liked the delivery. I uh, I didn't I didn't I wasn't expecting it, and uh, it got a, it got a laugh out of me. I like that because I just imagined that that was Shia LaBeouf just talking. That wasn't a line of dialogue. I think all of Shia LaBeouf in this is improvised. Like he he knows what he's supposed to do, but he's just running with it. I have a question here, though. Yeah. So you just mentioned yeah, yeah. beans. So, yeah, this is definitely a character. My impression, I tried to figure out what is this relationship, and the best I could describe it as is he is the salacious crumb to Shia LaBeouf's Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nailed it. Uh, Yep, that's fair. Couldn't have done it better. Uh, I I said it was basically Kimmy from Full House, the annoying friend that always shows up. That's the archetype, but oh boy, is this character something else. Like, Kimmy's the same age as one of the kids, right? Beans is, like, how old is Beans? Like five. Why does he, why does Shia LaBeouf hang out with him? I don't know if he hangs out with him so much as it is that he's just latched onto him. It kind of gets referenced, How I does think. he fit into this? He doesn't seem to have a family. It's quite possible Shia LaBeouf created Beans as some sort of <laughs> demonic robot to harass his sister. <laughs> he engineers multiple devices. He may or may <laughs> he made a robot. He apparently only exists to harass those yeah. around him. Or specifically to harass the, his, the, the, the Stevens the family. The Stevens family. Who's the only thing around? He doesn't have his own family because he was created in the Stevens basement by Shia LaBeouf. With the being told that his family was in Helsinki for the next two weeks, possibly three. And their, <laughs> their vacation just keeps getting extended. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole thing. But do you realize what this means for the story? Because Ren says that she took a babysitting job for the day, the evening, whatever it was, to get over her, her boyfriend. We'll, we'll go back to that. But mm-hmm. which means Beans... He, he comes over the next day and says, no, I'm going to be here for two weeks. My parents are leaving for Helsinki for 
two to three weeks. Bean's parents, if they exist, if he isn't just a, a robot, C-3PO style for this, for Shia LaBeouf, um, they did not have a babysitter until the day before they left on a two to three week <laughs> trip and had Red not got dumped, they would have just left him there, I'm assuming. Operating under the premise that these this family exists, they clearly are fleeing their demonic child. Yeah, they clearly <laughs> are unable to find a babysitter and have tricked Ren into taking this child for one day and have now fled not just the country, but the continent to Helsinki <laughs> and are almost certainly never coming back. Yeah. And all they gave their son was a suitcase full of no, bacon. No, no, They did not give their son a suitcase full of bacon. <laughs> he just took that <laughs> bacon. That's what he packed. He packed himself. I know. I do not believe that because I would not put me – these parents passed their idea of them making sure their child dies of gout so they never have to see him again. <laughs> there is no possible universe within the many levels of this film where Beans can operate a stove and cook for himself. That's fair. Can we, can we go back to the graduation ceremony? All right. How does it end? Shia LaBeouf says uh, it's ready for his PS de resistance, hits a button after uh, licking his fingers uh, on his remote, and the balloon, we find out, that has been levitating this entire time to find gravity, happens to be filled with spaghetti. And it explodes all over the crowd. Based on the line of, time to cue my confetti, yeah. which means says, I thought you said spaghetti. Which added this other level to me of not only did he create a self-floating, levitating, remote-controlled beach ball that is perfectly able to hover at eye level and be bounced around and tossed by people, this beach ball can also house 500 pounds of spaghetti. Correct. Cooked spaghetti with, with pasta sauce. sauce. How did Beans get that into the balloon in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he can cook. Okay, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> this is a running theme in the, in the movie. Every joke is about food. If you actually think about it, the only thing that they know what to think is funny is food related. I think you're using the word joke pretty broadly here. Yeah, you're being pretty liberal with that joke, right? Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, everything that they do is food related. Uh, the spaghetti, the bacon, uh, the sister with the Sunday thing that works on the chair, the the food drop later on in the show, it's all food related. Yeah. They just think kids know nothing but food. That's what they can relate to. So they just make every joke about food. There's just one really hungry guy in the writer's room. <laughs> he was on Atkins. And so every time they're bouncing jokes around, he's just like, oh, what if they were just eating pancakes? And then, oh, he just he just put on whipped cream on the pancakes. Oh, my God. <laughs> if my chair could just feed me hot dogs while I was writing, that would be amazing. That's going in the script. And then somebody's just like, I told you guys, whatever you say goes in, and I meant it. And then he's just taking it down. Or they're watching the movie, and the, one of the producers is like, I told you this is what happened if you let Roy write the film. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Roy. Hungry Roy. <laughs> Hungry Roy. The scene that, like, I, I guess like this maybe gets a ding out of me, but... There's this ongoing gag with the coach. Everyone calls him coach. I don't actually know what he does. I watch it with subtitles just a little bit uh, to, to get a couple lines. Um, his name is Coach Tugnut. Coach Tugnut. Okay, where I did enjoy that not only is Coach Tugnut eating the spaghetti off of himself, he is crying at graduation eating the spaghetti he is covered in. <laughs> <laughs> I did really enjoy that. <laughs> And then he gets attacked by birds later on because the birds want the spaghetti. All right. So I just got to say, at this point, we're introduced to the family. We're introduced to the dynamic 
uh, Christy Carlson Romano as Ren Stevens is the perfect golden child, the overachiever. Her younger brother, Shia LaBeouf, is constantly harassing her, trying to get a rise out of her and constantly ruining the day. And their conflict is going to create humorous tension. Sitcom. Ran for three years. At this point, if you had asked me to guess what the rest of the plot of this movie would be, I never in a million years could have predicted what happens in this movie. If you had made it multiple choice and had given me four options, I would have needed five guesses. It's impossible (laughs) to predict the insanity that comes forward (laughs) after this scene. Robbie, what happens next? Okay, well, first off, I had a big question right at this point where... Shia LaBeouf apparently gets in zero trouble from his family for ruining the graduation day. His parents do not discipline him at all. And I, I, my, uh, my wife was watching this with me and I said, what, what are, is he not getting in any trouble for this? And she said, yeah, no, they're really shit parents. Like, that's a thing. They just don't know what to do. Apparently in the show, they do not discipline anybody. They don't know what to do, which makes no goddamn sense because the mom is a freaking senator. Yep. I was like, how is this woman a senator? To be fair, to be fair, it's a state senator, but (laughs) go on. This does add an interesting layer to this movie that not once is there any mention of like, State Senator Stevens, like, unaware she's part of the show. Like, it doesn't, like, you'd figure any tabloid or any... Would she have staff that would stop this from happening? Prevent a public relations nightmare where she is literally eating bugs on a deserted (laughs) beach while people film her? Yeah, I would think you would hire at least one person that would take that on as part of their responsibilities, part of their job description. Um, I do have to disagree with you a little bit, though, Rob. You're saying that it is... It is unbelievable that a senator would have such a problem child. And I just, have you heard about Hunter Biden? (laughs) Have you heard about some of these children of senators and presidents? They're kind of all a little, they're having difficulties. I'm not saying that they don't have terrible children. I was saying like, okay, She's a terrible parent, but then as the movie progresses, what happens to her on the island would not Oh, that's happen. insane. That is absolutely insane. As Bobby yeah, said. That's what I'm saying. I had two notes that I took one immediately after another. The first note, once they get on this reality TV show, is how did this become the most popular TV show in America after one day? And then my second after note one day. And then my second note was, oh wait, it's a reality TV show where a fucking senator <laughs> Is eating bugs on a beach. Like, of course everyone would be watching this. Like, I would tune in if someone on Twitter was like, oh my god, guys, there is a California reality TV show where they have a state senator eating bugs and they're trapped on a beach and they don't know what's going on. I would watch it. It would, of course. But they're only like five miles offshore. Like, they're being punked. Ashton Kutcher's gonna jump out at any minute. To be fair, it actually does make a little bit of sense in that context. We go back home. Shia LaBeouf isn't punished. Instead... What does he do, Bobby? What does Shia LaBeouf do to uh, begin his his summer vacation? Um, he sits in a chair, and <laughs> I guess this is <laughs> that's that's exactly it. He sits hey, in a hey, chair. Hey, 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 hey! Don't just call her a chair. She's my ultra loungematic super chair. So he sits down in an ultra loungematic super chair, 
exclaiming that this is all he's going to do all summer. <laughs> his plans for the whole summer are to sit in a chair. That's his entire <laughs> summer plans. <laughs> Engineer to never move. He doesn't have to do anything. It feeds him. Assumably, it bathes him. And his friends all state, like, wow, like, you will put so much work into being it lazy. He drives around <laughs> like he's, like... Fucking Professor X. <laughs> And it's made out of PVC pipes and one lawn chair cushion. That's all it's made of. Well, he built it just like he built beans, okay? Like, (laughs) this is part of his character. That's a downgrade in engineering. I mean, he made human flesh. We don't know what is inside beans. We don't know how much PVC piping is holding that demon child together. And then this is where we're introduced to... I don't know know what what you want to call this. I mean... He watches a TV show, which gives you the introduction to the super dare, – dare we spoil? Can we release the super secret cameo of the secret performer in this movie? Well, I guess we have to because otherwise it's just a callback at the end. But we do get our cameo, the first uh, appearance of our cameo. So in the ultra lounge-matic super chair or whatever the thing is it's called, he hits one of the many buttons for a TV to come up between his legs to display none other than Full House and America's Funniest People's very own – Dave Coulier playing a parody of Dave Coulier in a reality television show called Gotcha, <laughs> which is what I can tell a downgrade from Punked. And if you know, if it was like if you were to watch a lesser version of Punked in the real world, it would be Dave Coulier hosting. Yeah, so. it's a prank show. And watching it, I was like, why is Dave Coulier in a three-second cameo on a show within a show? And it comes back. But it doesn't come back until the very end. So throughout that, I was like, Dave Coulier has really fallen far. That's one step above being an extra on Even Stevens. They say the perfect timeline on a, on a, on a film is uh, to bring a callback is in just when the audience forgets it. We forgot about it. And like 40 minutes later, they brought him back. It's after the introductory sequence of the graduation. We're introduced to him for two seconds, and then he comes back literally for the denouement. Yeah. So, like, it's 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 almost the maximum amount of time you could spend forgetting yeah. about a character. Now, <laughs> just to put into context, because I think Gotcha is supposed to be the number one show in this alternate reality of America. And our Canadian listeners, all three of you, will understand this reference when I put these pranks on the level of two steps below Just for Laughs gags. Yes. I wrote that down too. Pretty much. They're, yep. Yeah. Yep. They're, it's Just for Laughs gags, but somehow worse. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then from this point on, after we're introduced to the red herring that is Dave Coulier, his sister returns to attempt to murder him for, I believe, the first time in this movie. She tries to murder him a few different times. Because Bean steals... The most amount of pantyhose from her room. Right. That's right. Because she has a entire moss t- – she has basically has your camping tent's worth of pantyhose in that dresser drawer. <laughs> I, it's the dumbest thing. Assumably oh. – I don't know his chair did it or he just had the time to sew them together. <laughs> the chair did um, it. <laughs> she tries to murder him and he jumps out of the chair and I think I wrote this down correctly in order. In which case to enact its vengeance upon her, the loungematic chair proceeds to – spank her, try to force feed her a phallic hot dog, yep. and then douse her in whipping cream and chocolate yep. sauce. Supposed to be a 15-year-old character. Yeah. That, that, that is what Disney Channel deemed G-rated in 2003. It is a family-rated comedy. Yep. Cher, at this point, um, 
becomes self-aware at somewhat of a Beans level and attempts to attack them both. <laughs> well, maybe that's how Beans started. These ch- <laughs> Sorry. What got me? You know, it gained self-awareness. The chair gained uh-huh. self-awareness and then he had to <laughs> he started off as a chair. Create a new body for it. And it doesn't leave because it doesn't know where to go. And then we're followed by um, one of many. I actually made a note of it every single time. The first of many Evil Dead 2 shots where you get the shot of the perspective of the chair trying to murder these children a la Maximum Overdrive. There was no budget for special effects in this movie. If you gave someone a budget of $10 to make this movie, they'd have a buck fifty left over at the end. Like it is quite it is, it is insane how cheap this movie looks. It looks like it's it's making fun of cheap movies. Like it's a satire mm-hmm. of movies on a budget. That's what we're dealing with here. Hey, what happened to that ten bucks? I thought you'd gotten to go spend it on the special effects. And we're like, no, I came back with a sack full of beans. Cuts to the character. In the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it. Well, speaking of it, though, I, I'm not sure if it's the next scene, but it's one of the early scenes. Is that Ren then goes to meet up with her boyfriend? Oh, the, yeah, this sh- was before. It's just before the scene, but at any rate, she goes yeah. to meet up with her boyfriend, and she goes to meet with him at a pancake place, which I actually kind of liked. I'm not sure that's something that got a laugh out of me. I'm not sure if that's a ding moment, but I did like the weirdness of them hanging out at a pancake place. Like, I really hope that was the hangout spot for three years. Like, that was the equivalent to friends hanging out at the coffee shop or Cheers, the Cheers bar. It was just these lunatics at a pan- at an international house of pancakes. You, you, you know it is because that's the rest of the movie. The entire town is glued to the TV set at the pancake hut. That's where everyone hangs out, Sean. The coach never leaves. <laughs> yeah, I know. All the characters are in this pancake hut, which is so weird that I actually liked it. And the other thing is that the establishing shot of this pancake house is like a real pancake house with like a 1996 spinning globe gif level of resolution of like a giant sign that just says like pancake house. It's this weird Netscape-style animation of, like, three frames per second that they've just plastered over top of this shot, this wide establishing shot of this pancake house. It was clip art at best. (laughs) It was the first example that I had of what the fuck is going on with these effects, and it gets crazier from there. She's going to meet up with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend breaks up with her. That starts, I guess, her character arc. So we're introduced to these characters, and I got a question here. I'm trying to understand how the hell this screenplay works, and so I just gotta pose this question to you two guys. What do you think Shia LaBeouf's uh, tragic flaw is? He's Shia LaBeouf? Yeah, Robbie stole my answer. (laughs) (laughs) More specifically, what is Louis Stevens' character flaw? He's an annoying asshole who uh, doesn't uh, respect his family. In any way, shape, or form. That, you would think, would be the the character flaw, wouldn't you? Bobby, what do you think the character flaw is? That he hates women. I mean, we I, we missed the line where he says to his, I think she's supposed to be 13-year-old friend, that he's built a seat for her into his chair, and he says, care to sit next to Papa. It's so creepy. It's And that that is a Shia LaBeouf improv, if anything is, I gotta say. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so I'm just gonna make a note of that. That's what you think. So, and what is Christy Carlson Romano's? character arc here what does she need what is where is her journey going to go from here what does she need or uh where is she gonna go from it i don't even want to say it yeah what is she missing what is she missing in her life yeah she just needs a man yeah she 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 needs a man yeah. I, I even have noted yeah. when her boyfriend breaks up with her he's like i just yeah. like 
don't be tied down, baby. I'm like, for fuck's sakes, man, you are 15 years old. All right, so that's where we're starting. All right, I just wanted to make a note of it. Uh, I'm going to come back to that. All right, so. <laughs> like, I can see you writing. You have actually made a note of that for everyone listening at home. Okay, so that's where these characters start off with, and now we're introduced to the real star of our show. We've got uh, 12 minutes into this, and our star hasn't shown up yet, but now he does. Timmy Meadows. He, he just he just lets himself in. To the backyard. He's like, hey, is Steve Stevens here? Doesn't knock on the front door, just goes to the backyard. He just, as a strange man, approaches these two children in their backyard and says, hey, kids, <laughs> is your dad around? Is anyone home? Is your daddy home? <laughs> is there anyone else in the house that can hear you right now? The father comes out. They have, I guess, a quick joke about him threatening to sue them because Shia LaBeouf's monster car runs him over a bit. And so he uses that as pressure to give them this presentation, this marketing pitch. And the pitch is, as best as I can understand, whatever the hell that was, he is going to give them a free vacation to a uncharted island. Mandalina. Uh, that, that's how he describes it. Sorry, what's the name of the island, Rob? Mandalina. It's an uncharted island, and it's populated by a combination of <laughs> natives <laughs> And I think what they describe as shipwrecked sailors? Shipwrecked sailors from different ethnicities. From different ethnicities. So, like, I guess they're trying to sell this as, like, a Pitcairn Island situation, like a mutiny on the bounty where uh, everyone – it's it's like in the Bermuda Triangle and everyone washes up on shore and after 400 years, it's just who knows what the hell happened. There's just – a grab bag of ethnicities where everybody speaks English. Which is written written into the dialogue of the film. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, I just want to make clear though, everybody speaks English with a different yet equally racist accent. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't decide on an accent to share. Everyone has a different accent. Most of them aren't a real accent. Yep. They're just putting very offensive affectations on their voice. But none of them are the same. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so this is his pitch to them. And they say, why would you give us this free vacation to this uncharted island? And he says, well, we want to open it up to tourism. And we need uh, kind of people to go to give it good reviews. And so that we can show images of, of tourists coming to the island and enjoying themselves. And you're a state senator. So you're, I guess, practically a celebrity. And that would be a great endorsement for our island to have. And so they sign on uh, with the vocal objections of Shia LaBeouf, who is so passionate about wanting to sit in that chair yep. that he he threatens <laughs> violence to that they're going to pull him away from his chair, that the only thing he wants to do all summer is sit in that chair. And the promise of a free vacation is such a threat to his dreams of chair sitting that uh, he's quite upset about being taken from this. I'm going to tell you now, two more dings. Both of them are chair related. <laughs> There's two really good lines in this movie later on about chairs. When I asked you guys, what do these characters need? Like, what are we being introduced to these characters as what they're missing in their lives? <laughs> In the first act, Christy Carlson Romano needs a man, and Shia LaBeouf needs a chair. That's right. <laughs> what is missing in his life is just a chair. He just wants a chair. Now, okay, the reason I brought up his flaw as misogyny is because his angry pitch to his mother, instead of going on the vacation, he says, no, how about you 
stay home, cook for me, and do my laundry. That sounds like an adventure to me. You'd think he could build a beans robot to do that for him. <laughs> you think <laughs> beans would just do that for him? I don't know. It's tough. But at any rate, uh, it's four against one. So they all go to the island uh, to have their dream vacation for the summer. They arrive on the island to, oh, God. So, yeah, at this point, I was like, what are we watching? I was like, this is this is a whole new level of racism here. They don't tell us where the island is, just to go back. But it's clearly a Polynesian island. And as they fly up... It's clearly Hawaii. It's clearly Hawaii. It's, they clearly shot this in Hawaii. It looks exactly like Hawaii. Uh, the fact that it's an uncharted island, well, it's, it's somewhere in the Pacific. Yep. They show up and they are greeted by what appear to be the indigenous peoples of this island who are dressed up in their native garb, I guess, and they're doing a dance for them and they're spinning fire and the music is... is It's just all so problematic. And then you look at the actors and you say, <laughs> none of these actors are Polynesian. And you say, what, what am I looking at? Like, half of these people are white. There's a mixture of... Asian ethnicities thrown in there, but none of them are consistent. And they're all pretending to be, you know, like uh, Pacific Islanders. What? Mm -hmm. How is this possibly allowed? It's because they had that line of dialogue saying it was shipwreck people and they adopted this culture. So it was okay to do this. Oh, I understand the narrative reason that they put in to explain <laughs> this. But at the time that we're watching, I want to make clear that as we're watching this film at this point the audience <laughs> believes they are on a vacation to an uncharted pacific island they're being greeted by the indigenous peoples of this island including a tribal chief who they describe as a tribal chief they use this language and none of these people are pacific islanders in ethnicity and mm -hmm. i I'm wondering at this point, where was the this movie contains depictions of harmful racism warning? Because, <laughs> like, we talked about this in the last movie that came out in 2003 that we talked about, which was apparently a very racist year for Disney, which was <laughs> the remake of Freaky Friday. And they don't contain a warning at the beginning of that because it's kind of embarrassing, I think, for Disney to put a warning that says, yeah, like... Less than 20 years ago, we released something like this that was incredibly racist. It was wrong then and it's wrong now. Yeah, you think? You were the same person that did it. Um, <laughs> and so I have to wonder, how far back do you think we would have to go in the Disney Plus catalog before they're willing to put one of these warnings in front oh, of their movies? Interesting. The movie that jumped out to me as an example, and I haven't watched it, we might get to it eventually on this podcast, is the mid-90s family comedy man of the house oh, starring man. chevy chase and jonathan taylor thomas this movie came out when i was a kid i've never seen it but the poster for the movie is chevy chase wearing a, a native american headdress and jonathan taylor thomas is beside him and i while thinking about this googled the plot of this film and the plot involves them having competitions in what was at the time referred to as indian guides which is this ymca boy scouts i really have to wonder if we put on that movie is there going to be a warning i doubt it i don't think they uh, would That's i don't the think 90s. we should hunt out or choose our 
films based on which ones are the most racist, Sean. We're having quite success playing our game Find That Racism. Yeah, we don't have, we, we apparently don't have to try. I don't think we have to go searching for it. We're just choosing things based on whatever poster Bobby finds most intriguing in the moment. <laughs> and, you know, our running tally so far is like three out of seven are pretty racist. So I think we're going to hit these <laughs> things, but I, I just want to put the flag down now. How far back do you think we're going to have to go? Yeah. Do you think we'll see something in the 80s where they put the warning on? Or do you think... They're not putting the warning on unless it's like pre-70s so that they can claim, oh, it was another era. Yeah, I I have a feeling it's going to be like, I'd say earliest is the 70s. All right. Well, anyway, to sum up, this movie's super racist. And as the plot continues, it doesn't get less racist. It gets racist in weirder ways. Anyway, go on, Robbie. (laughs) In very weirder ways. I was going to say, do you guys remember the shot of them arriving on the island and they get their ceremonial hats? Yes. Where they didn't do a different take. Yes. They didn't do a second shot. So good. Because he can't put the hat on the guy. He just, I just said, they didn't want to reshoot that. The guy goes to put the hat on the dad and it falls off. And then they just wait a minute, put it back on. And then the they, scene lasts like an extra 10 seconds because they so have long. To put the hat on a second time. And it's not a yeah. joke. Like, I'm pretty sure at one point, yeah. like, the actors do a camera take. Do you want me to actually put this on again? Are we going to cut? No. <laughs> so yeah. No, no. They just didn't reshoot yeah. it. They were Clint Eastwooding it. They were just doing one take. 100 takes. <laughs> and that was the best one. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They were one take, get a steak, people. Yeah. I got to say. So at any rate, they get on the island. They are greeted by the tribal chief. They refer to it as the tribal chief. Want to make that clear. This is the language the movie is feeding us. They welcome these white people to this island and then yeah, take it is, them. Th- it, is, it is kind of cargo culty, isn't it? They show up in there. It's so problematic. But here's the thing. They, they welcome them yeah. to the island and then they take them to where they're going to be staying. And they're going to be staying in the tribal chief's like palace, like his, his mansion, which is uh, – this computer-generated image that I believe they took from the 1994 <laughs> CD-ROM game Riven, the sequel to Mist. Uh, I thought you were going to say, like, Monkey Island, like, even older. <laughs> like, it's pixel yeah. art. Yeah. This movie came out in 2003, and it was by far the worst background I have ever seen in a film. <laughs> the brother and sister run up to it, and they just disappear into the pixels of the shot. <laughs> it basically looks like... They were using this computer-generated image as a zoom background, and as you get further away from the camera, you, like, just disappear because (laughs) the computer can't tell that you're not part of the background anymore. That's what happened. And then they get there. They get into this palace, this mansion, and uh, Shia LaBeouf immediately claims his bedroom. Uh, and he's going to take the the royal bedroom, which I assume is supposed to be the tribal chief's own bedroom that Shia LaBeouf just claims for himself. And is this movie just a metaphor for colonialism? These white people come to this uncharted island, mm-hmm. are welcomed huh. by the indigenous peoples. They proceed to literally take the indigenous people's land. They proceed to refer to this home that they are given the opportunity to stay at as their own house. On multiple occasions, they say, our house. They just say, this is ours now. That is clearly belonging to the tribal chief that he has lent you, that he's giving you a room to stay in on his island. They say, our house now. Uh Uh-huh. And then to spoil it, they proceed to destroy it very quickly. Then they act like they're the victims. Jeez. The story of white colonialism. 
I think you're giving this movie too much credit. <laughs> uh, clearly. Yeah, you're not You're not wrong. Not even a little bit. I, I have a question. Go ahead. The shot when they land on the island and they're greedy by all the people. Tim Meadows is there. And at that point in time, I was like, why did Timmy Meadows come with them? And I kept saying that until the reveal. But Tim Meadows has such a penchant for just popping up over the course of this little, like the first little bits of this before the, the reveal. I kind of found that was funny. But why was Tim Meadows there? Why weren't they questioning Tim Meadows was there? It was like, you're going on a family vacation. And all of a sudden, I'm coming with you. You have to, you have to deal with me. I'm Tim Meadows. I'm coming with you. Well, he's like you. the PR guy, you know? He's uh, he's their concierge, you know? He's, he's helping them through the entire vacation. Sure. If you have any questions, come to me. It's never explained, though. It's just like he just showed up on the island. If he didn't get out of the plane with them, I would have been like, wait, where the hell did Tim Meadows come from? Well, I believe it's probably like that family that found out that Army Hammer was their concierge at their like island. Yes, that's right. <laughs> like Army <laughs> Hammer just shows up and he's like, hey guys, anything you need, just ask me. I'm here on this island. Yeah. This is a little real world uh, news, Bobby, and audience for anyone that hasn't heard it. Apparently, Army Hammer is now employed as a concierge because he can't get any work after everyone found out he's cannibal i thought the cannibal thing was just a line for that nick let's go song not only that he's selling timeshares as well it, it's the it's the ultimate fall from grace you couldn't think he couldn't stoop any lower than cannibalism but now he's selling timeshares <laughs> this goes back to what robbie was saying of like how does a state senator have such an awful child his parents are arm and hammer and their son is a timeshare selling cannibal to give you perspective on the child in this movie. To be clear, uh, because we are putting this out in the world, alleged timeshare selling cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Rob, what happens next? Well, this is before they destroy the house. They're having their uh, Indiana Jones, you got to eat the insects or you'll be disrespectful to the el- the right. the natives. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out in 1984, I believe. Yeah. They couldn't shoot in India because India said, that's super racist to say that we all eat this kind of food. Sure. 2003. I, uh, uh. They do the exact same scene. Yeah. Which is clearly a bratwurst on a stick. Uh, Beans, of course, loves it. Um, but Shia LaBeouf. By the way, why aren't we calling him even Stevens? You know, I was actually a little disappointed <laughs> that, that that wasn't his name. I know. Having no context on this film, I thought his name was like Evan or something, but everyone called him Even. It honestly could be funny if his name was Evan, but it was like spelled Even. Yeah. And like every – people were always calling him Even Stevens. He's like, it's Evan. But that's actually yeah. a real joke. And I don't think yeah. Yeah. those were allowed in this movie. Again, bring it back to food. They don't want to eat the First Nations or the Native – food so timmy meadows says to him oh there's some american snacks in the palace go get it so he runs away and goes to the secret cupboard in the kitchen this was the moment of uh, my second laugh in the film shia labeouf goes to the the kitchen to get a bunch of american snacks from the pantry he's got all of these snacks in his mouth a twizzler in his mouth he's got he's carrying all these snacks and then he sees this door uh that says do not enter forbidden chamber of mystery so shia labeouf of course being the precocious little shit that he is opens the door and sees a chair (laughs) and he says with a twizzler in his mouth now that's a chair. <laughs> <laughs> From a screenwriting perspective, they have established his tragic flaw 
And they have now manifested that tragic flaw within the parameters of the plot that they have set up. So uh-huh. assuming that this movie is entirely chair-based and his character arc... It's entirely chair-based. And his character arc <laughs> revolves around sitting or not sitting in a chair. I, they're nailing it so far. They are <laughs> They are two for two. Yeah. You aren't actually wrong. Uh, that's yeah. That was the third time I laughed in this film. Um, but the this I I realized what they were doing, and that's why I laughed because he said, "No, that's a chair." And the ultra lounge chair, matic, whatever the heck it's called, all of that made sense to me. I was like, "Is his entire business in this movie that he loves chairs?" And yes, that's his entire. Well, business. for all we know, this is what every episode of the show is about. For all yeah, we know, even Stevens is. <laughs> It's entirely chair He's a man constantly in search of a chair. That's the premise of this show. I I now choose to believe that's what even Stevens is. It's true. We we, we never watched the yeah. first three seasons. Like maybe like him sitting in the lounge omatic was everything the fans had been hoping for if he finally got it. The culmination of three seasons. It's like Captain America picking up Mjolnir. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. So he sits in the chair, then what happens? Oh, he pulls a lever. He thinks it's a footrest, and he pulls a lever and it destroys the entire building. Colonizer destroys the uh uh the people's house. The indigenous people's habitation, all for the sake of his own personal comfort. After he went in to steal their food yep. and sit in their chair, he then destroys yes. their house. Specifically on the room, you can go anywhere in the castle. Just do not go into this room. And uh, as it falls apart, family and all the indigenous people come running and they're like, Shia, what did you do? And he said, I thought it was a footrest, not a house delapser. Delapser? That's what he said. Oh, because it's like like collapse? Like the house collapsed? Yeah. Huh. I wrote it down. I could have been wrong. I didn't have subtitles at that point. Interesting. I've never heard of this word. Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> but he was just screaming it. So again, thinking all of Shia LaBeouf's dialogue was just improvised. The whole the whole palace collapses and the family is is shunned because they've destroyed this sacred place. As they should be. Like all white colonists. So And then we are treated to an even better CG rendition of the palace collapsing. Um, rather than making individual notes for every part of CG, I just simply <laughs> went back and <laughs> underlined my initial note of awful CG at least six times. <laughs> rather than simply remaking the note every time it came I up. I do have one one more comment on the CG when, it, when we get to it. Because uh, it keeps getting crazier and crazier as this thing goes on. Is it the birds? So they get... Sh- Yes. They get shunned and they have to go to the beach. And Tim Meadows says, well, you can't live in the palace because you destroyed it. And I want to remind, like I said before, they keep referring to that as their house. Yes. They keep saying, Lewis, you destroyed our house. Our home is gone. That was never your house. What? It took you all of that five minutes to decide that that was your house? I like it here. This is ours now. Tim Meadows tells them, well, you should probably set up a lean-to with these branches here. Good luck. I'm going to go try and sort things out with the natives. And he leaves them on the beach. And they're all quite mad at Lewis uh, for obvious reasons. I think even aside from the insanity of having a lever that destroys the mansion, there was a pretty clear do not enter sign. So I got to say bad on Lewis on that one. They they, they split up, right? Because they split up because... um... Uh, the mom, the uh, dumb older brother, and Shia LaBeouf go to get firewood, and 
Steve Stevens beans, who's still there. They 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 kidnapped a child and took him out of state. Took took him to international waters. Yeah, I don't think they even notified a, a U.S. senator. Kidnapped a child, took him out of state, and did not notify the child's parents. But uh, yeah, so beans, Steve Stevens, and uh, the sister Ren are uh, building the shelter. And so while even Stevens is out uh, collecting firewood. Tim Meadows <laughs> comes and uh, says, hey, good news. Uh, you got to come back and feast with the tribe. And after the feast, uh, they'll decide whether or not you will be shunned. Yeah. So they're, they're giving an opportunity to make things right. And then he explicitly tells them, oh, but you can't bring the rest of the family because yeah. apologies have to happen in groups of three. Now, obviously, at this point, it's like, okay, so there's something going on here with Tim Meadows, but you still don't know what it is. And they go back to this feast and then they have a delicious feast and they're eating all this food. <laughs> and then Tim Meadows goes to Ren Stevens and, and – uh, or sorry, um, is it actually – Mutai that brings Ren to the feast? Yes. Okay, so uh, just okay, so just to introduce this character of Mutai. Mutai is the whitest South California surfer dude that you are <laughs> with, ever going with dyed blonde hair. Dyed blonde hair, frosted tips. He's he's got the Justin Timberlake yeah. frosted curls. And somehow they are just expected to accept that he is a native to this Polynesian island. And uh, not only that, um, he's speaking in a completely made-up offensive accent uh, with very stilted English statements, um, as if to convey that English is his second language. What his first language is, we do not know. But he... Because English is the first language of this island. <laughs> so he goes to Wren... And he uh, he's clearly like he's descended from a California surfer sailor. Like that's the only explanation within the narrative that they've established. So why he would that his father mm-hmm. got lost surfing off the coast of California, <laughs> made his way to the island. That's the only explanation. And yet somehow he really doesn't speak English very well. You but- are right because never mind the special effects. I do have a note of. That is the shittiest post filter I have ever seen put over a beach shot to make it look like it's magic hour. Yeah. Yep. And they it comes up every time they're on the beach. They put that like did you film a magic hour? Like couldn't you have waited? No, I'll just do it in post. There's some really bad day for night later on too. It's just it's just abysmal. Oh, yeah. But Mutai takes Ren to secretly watch this feast where Shia LaBeouf and Beans, I guess. Right, and, and the, the brother and the mom. The 35-year-old uncle who's posing as a brother. Okay, that's the three. Yeah. Those are the three, and they're feasting on this delicious feast. Tim Meadows sees them and goes to talk to them. This and Tim Meadows plays some sort of like, oh, well, he told me that you like wouldn't be interested in eating, or like he didn't want you to like eat your fill. Yeah, so there's like a, a series of double lies that he's portraying. It's not clear exactly why at that point. The feast ends... Uh, and Shia LaBeouf has to apologize <laughs> to Oprah. Oprah. He has to apologize to <laughs> the tribal god. And so they have a giant statue of this tribal god. And then they explain that the tribal god is named Oprah. And then, okay, I will say, this is possibly my ding. Okay. This is the one ding. <laughs> because, like, I think the older brother goes, Oprah. And then Tim Meadows, without missing a beat, goes, it's a coincidence. <laughs> Which did get a laugh out of me, just how nonchalant he was like, I knew you were going to say that. It's a coincidence. <laughs> Except, when we get to the twist, suddenly it's it makes no sense. <laughs> 
<laughs> There'd be no reason to call it Oprah. And why does he say it's a coincidence? He picked it. It's clearly yeah, not a coincidence. That's what I'm saying. The ace, the racism onion is just unending. But uh-huh. okay, so he's you trying. Shia LaBeouf apologize. How he apologizes? Uh, what does he do? <laughs> he says, "I'm sorry about the house. I won't do, I won't it, do again. it again." That's the only way he knows how to apologize is just saying I won't do it again because his parents are so shit. If, if, if this film were a metaphor on colonialism, that would be aligned with some depth, but <laughs> it's not, so it isn't. And so then the tribal chief asks the statue of the god, is the Stevens family forgiven? At which point the statue of the god opens its mouth and breathes fire. And no one seems particularly shocked at this turn of events, at which point I texted Robbie and I said, you could literally have this movie go anywhere at this point, and I would believe you. Once you have introduced the fire-breathing god, I was fully prepared for the third act of this movie to involve a time machine, where Shia LaBeouf goes back in time and rides a dinosaur. Or maybe they go to space. I had no idea what was happening. And clearly, they didn't seem very confused. They just said, oh, it's a fire-breathing god. Um, okay. And then proceeded, as if this is a normal occurrence in this sitcom. Yeah, there was a there was another line there where uh where after the breeze fire, I forget who, maybe it's the dumb brother, Shia LaBeouf says, "Is that is that is that good?" And and Tim Meadows again says, "Does it look good?" <laughs> that was another good offhanded line by Tim Meadows. So at this point we're getting we get the reveal. So just to remind the audience, up until now, we are 45 minutes into a one hour and 30 minute movie. So this is literally the midpoint of the film. So this is, you know, your story circle storytelling. You get to the midpoint. What's the turn? The turn is that none of this has been real and they are experiencing some sort of Truman Show-esque scenario where the island is covered with cameras and is videotaping them experiencing this survivor-esque castaway situation uh for the entertainment of the viewing people at home while they think that all of this is real all of the uh native people are actors clearly and so at that point you say okay so the movie wasn't racist the show within the movie was racist but isn't that still racist (laughs) uh It's very bizarre, um, but now that's the turn for where we get the second half of this movie, where they are in the Truman Show, I and, guess. Uh, this, is, this is the point where I was going to bring up that uh, completely 100% backs up your chair flaw, is that Tim Meadows sets up to the audience that <laughs> we had from an insider source that there was no possible way Lewis would be able to resist a setup <laughs> for this chair. Said, Cuts he- to his best friend in America be like oh no I ratted him out I told him about the chair but he says he knew he couldn't resist a door that said do not open let alone a comfortable chair and that was my third laugh <laughs> so there we got a, a third ding for Robbie um so I do have a question about this so they say this a few times but Bobby you just mentioned the first time this brought up Tim Meadows then turns to the audience, supposedly, for this TV show. And he says, welcome to, what's the name of this? Family Fake Out. Family Fake Out. Welcome to Family Fake Out. This family thinks they're on a vacation that has gone terribly wrong, but it's all fake. And we're just videotaping their horror and watching them live in misery. And they say, according to our research, you know, here are all the things that are going to terrorize them. But other than the chair, 
everything else is just like snakes mm-hmm. <laughs> and like not having food. <laughs> it, it, it honestly feels like it's like, according to our research, this particular family doesn't enjoy being bitten by poisonous snakes. <laughs> the one thing they hate. Well, right. what do you think we have? Like, they they stopped. They got one piece of info. They talked to Twitty, and they said, "What is what is he? Can he not resist? Chair, chair, good. All right, well, that's enough. We don't need it anymore." But it was, <laughs> it was enough. <laughs> so this is the rest of the show. They're on this TV show, and I had this question right then and there. I yelled at the TV and I said. Is this live? I have that same <laughs> note later, which we'll get to when the, they lose the footage. And I was like, this Survivor show is broadcast live. Okay, not only is it being broadcast live, it is apparently being broadcast live 24 hours a day. It is essentially <laughs> the Truman Show. They keep cutting back to the audience. She says, welcome to our morning edition. They're constantly <laughs> watching this. It's a channel devoted solely to this one show, which... To be fair, when you've kidnapped a state senator and thrown her on an island, surrounded by a bunch of mechanical snakes, I guess you can get a, t- a channel to be like, well, yeah, let's just run that 24-7. <laughs> you learned that he was fired by Dave Coulier. Uh, yeah. And so this is, I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to not just prank someone at dinner. I'm going to kidnap a state senator and broadcast it live 24 hours a day. Fuck you, Dave Coulier. That's the only way he can think to one-up Dave Coulier. Dave Coulier is literally running, like, just-for-laugh-style pranks, where, you know, he's, like, unscrewing the top of, like, mustard. People are like, oh, no! (laughs) Too much mustard! (laughs) The only way I can one-up you, Dave Coulier, is to kidnap this senator. I mean, for a brief moment in time, they are one point ahead in the ratings, so it does work for a very small window they have that poll remember there's the live poll that's right there's the live poll where you're basically asking if this teenage girl should be sexually assaulted by an adult america votes if they should kiss right and it says 20 million people said vote yes to kiss so there's 20 million people watching this yeah live two-thirds of the population of our country of canada voted yes the plot at this point basically involves Shia LaBeouf's two friends, Twitty and Tawny, who are watching this show because, again, everyone in America is watching this show. And Twitty feels so bad about giving them this inside information about Shia LaBeouf's one weakness being chairs (laughs) that they decide that they have to rescue them. They find out that they're actually being filmed just a few miles offshore in international waters. And they actually name it as this island of Catalona, which is supposed to be... Catalina. It's supposed to be Catalina. It's obviously Catalina. Catalina is an island off the coast of LA. Catalina is not nearly quite as abandoned, (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) it's an island off the coast of California. Um, However, Catalina looks like a California island, mostly (laughs) desert-like. This is clearly Hawaii. Could you imagine if this island actually was off the coast of California, <laughs> about a five miles? Yeah. It would not be abandoned. It wouldn't be it uncharted w- like this. It yeah. wouldn't be uncharted. It wouldn't be abandoned. It would It would just be full of people. It would be everyone from LA would have their paradise. house there. Yes. It's paradise. But here's the thing. So they say, we need to get there. So we are going to get a boat. One of their friends is looking after a boat and he can apparently sail the boat. So they go to him, this other 15 year old, and they say, can you sail us to Catalona? Now I I just have to stop because I had to go back and check. I was like, wait a second, wait a a second, wait a second. They live in Sacramento. (laughs) Sacramento is landlocked. (laughs) 
it is not on the ocean. It is in the middle of the state. It's the capital of the state, which makes sense. She's a state senator. They, I think, had to sail that boat down a river. (laughs) Which is so funny because when they get up... Their friend is like, hey there, landlubbers, welcome to the salty brine. It's like, that is a freshwater river, buddy. You live in Sacramento. (laughs) This is not a salty brine. But they sail them somehow down the river to the coast and then go to Catalonia. They actually shot on a boat in the ocean. I'll give this movie that one prop. It's probably because they didn't have the budget for special effects to put up a blue screen. So they're like, we actually have to shoot on the water. It was easier for them to actually get a boat and shoot on the water than it would be to do it in the studio. They do, they do that with the planes as well, where yep. they do take a couple of real shots of, of a plane taking off and landing. But they CGI a house. <laughs> so we're speaking of CG, and I just have to speak because I think right around here is where this this shot that just wrinkled my brain showed up. You're introducing Ren's character arc at this point. So Ren, who her tragic flaws, she needs a man. She now finds a man in the native Mutai. And by native, I mean clearly a South Carolina surfer boy. South Carolina? Oh, sorry. It's clearly a South California, <laughs> Southern California. <laughs> clearly a Southern California surfer boy. And he comes to her and she's sitting beside a waterfall. And so there is this special effects shot. Oh, yeah. Where the camera establishes Ren sitting on a rock beside a waterfall and it like pushes in. But here's the thing. They did not create a 3D render of this scene. It's an entirely computer-generated waterfall. It's an entirely computer-generated scene. They created plates of 2D renders. There is a 2D plate of a sky and then a 2D plate of a waterfall in front of it. And then they animate some birds. And then they move the plates in the exact same way that you would zoom in to uh, a waterfall in... A 1942 animated Disney movie by having plates of animation that move further apart from one another. That's how they shot this. And it is so insanely fake that my mind had to treat it as if it was like an intentional artistic choice. Like <laughs> like Robin Williams walking through uh, watercolor paintings in the afterlife in the movie What Dreams May Come. Like I was like, are, are they dead? Is this is this the afterlife? What am I seeing here? <laughs> it's it's so fake. It, or or it's like when Mary Poppins they jump into the 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 animated world. It's so fake that you're just like, this can't, this isn't bad. This is intentionally not real. Boy, is that scene yeah, weird. And like, that's, that's the, that's, there was the scene I was talking about with those birds because I was just like, well, I was like, why, why put the birds in there? Like, like, like they're, they're, they're worse than clip art. And then you couple it with the actual content of the scene. And it's just, it's just an absolutely garbage garbage scene. Yeah, because, well, the scene is Mutai comes up and he's like seducing her because yeah. he's supposed to have this role where he seduces yeah. her and makes her fall in love with him. So he's constantly flirting with her. And then like you said, there's a poll at the bottom of the screen where America is voting yeah. on whether she's going to kiss Mutai. And we just see all of the characters that we've already been established throughout the course of the movie. Basically just their high school friends and the coach eating pancakes at the pancake house watching this show. Presumably their teachers, their lecherous, lecherous teachers are voting on this. Yes. The, uh, cre- yes. Uh, okay, so that happens. Um, we got Twitty and Twanny and Timmy and Tammy, so it's Twitty and Tawny. 
Uh, they show up at the island. Um, they get separated because a big CG waves hits their boat. Oh, yes. And the wave. Tawny, she apparently stumbles onto shore and then a coconut falls on her head. <sighs> And she gets amnesia. Knocks her unconscious. She gets, she, she, she gets amnesia for about three and a half minutes. Yeah. I don't even know the plot reason for it. The plot reason, because she act, the amnesia fades by the end of the next scene. I guess it's to explain why she doesn't like immediately explain the situation to the Stevens. But and I, I was just at that point going, really? Really? The coconut gives her amnesia. Like... Yeah. I honestly wrote down in my note, I'm pretty sure the script was written in the car on the way to the shoot. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And then the coconut gives the amnesia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, just go with it. Go with it. I'm surprised there wasn't quicksand in this movie. Yeah. Like, legitimately, I'm surprised there wasn't quicksand. Yeah, now that you say it, it's a little disappointing. Well, Twitty never mentioned it as one of their weaknesses. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is one other thing that jumped out at me. Um, it's not funny, but I found it fun or interesting and i thought it was going to go somewhere differently so right around in this big mess of stuff that's happening in the second half of the film the older brother uh the 45 year old nick spano donnie stevens runs into one of the natives who looks like somebody he went to high school with he recognizes this guy this guy's like no 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 no. i'm a native and i have a native name i'm not that guy that you're talking about and then tim meadows once he finds out about this, he's initially upset, but he's like, oh, wait, maybe we can have some fun. And so then he gets this guy to dress up in his high school sports uniform, put on a backpack and walk through the forest and like walk up to him and be like, oh, hey, what's going on, Donnie? I'm going to be late for class. I'll see you later. And then just walk into the woods as if their plan now was to drive Donnie completely insane. And yeah, that was his plan. <laughs> I wish it went somewhere. There is almost, I mean, I don't know if you even want to call it a laugh, but it's like somebody in the diner says, yeah, well, come on, it's Donnie. He's not exactly Einstein. And then when they show Donnie on the screen, it's Donnie underneath his description, not Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even see that. Oh, I missed that ding. I, that would have got a ding. There's a lot of plot points here that were echoed in the television series Lost. <laughs> They're trapped on an island. <laughs> there is a food drop. Somewhere on the island that they have to then make their way to. Search party There for. is someone's old friend walking through the island, not acknowledging that they're on an island in their high school uniform that is driving this person insane. They walk through weird computer-generated gener imagery that made me think they're actually in the afterlife. I was wondering, why does so much of this mirror loss... And then I remember this move, this came out in 2003. Lost premiered in 2004. Lost was actually ripping off the Even Stevens movie. <laughs> this was David Lindelof's uh, inspiration. David Lindelof watched this and he was like, oh, fuck, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Based <laughs> on every David Lindelof thing I've read, fuck, does that ever add up? <laughs> I think we're getting close to the end here. So, yeah, basically, uh, the rest of the movie is just Timmy Meadows pitting the two warring sections of the family against each other to create tension um and that's like all the rest of this is and it eventually blows up very quickly Sorry, can, we, can we can we pause for one second there's a bunch of sirens going by and every fucking dog in the neighborhood is howling in the background well just just uh for both your information and the audience's information downstairs from me my girlfriend and her sister are playing the video game cuphead and they are definitely screaming out the word fuck over and over and over again <laughs> 
so that may or may not bleed through into what we're recording. I cannot hear any of that. Uh, the, 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 the dogs have let me know that they're done howling for now. Okay. So I think that brings us to basically the climax of here. So yeah. the climax is that Mutai is supposed to be wooing Ren and then breaking her heart once again and manipulating her. But Mutai has second thoughts because he has also fallen in love with Ren. And Mutai is going to reveal everything to Ren. Uh, before he can do, though, do that, though, the actors come in and break it up. And they explain it to Ren by saying, Mutai can no longer be around you because your brother, Louis, has ruined it. And she says, why? And they're like, because. And then I guess they accept. She accepts that. She hates her brother that much that she then loses her mind, apparently, and vows to murder him, runs into the forest, paints war paint on her face with presumably mud, sharpens a stick, and then, unfortunately, begins... Screaming an ululating war cry over and over and over again. Yeah, not just once. She doesn't stop until the very end. And to be clear, it is an incredibly offensive cultural ululating yeah. war cry that she is screaming that is not at all appropriate for the situation. Uh, and she just does this for a long time until she apparently can find her brother. While she is planning to murder her brother, uh, Timmy and Tawny and Timmy and... <laughs> Taddy, find the rest of the family. Twitty and Tawny have, have been split up. Twitty has been found by island security swimming, and he gets arrested and thrown in the costume trailer. Um, all while Tawny has amnesia in the desert or whatever the fuck is going on in this <laughs> island. I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it's really just spinning wheels at this point. The whole thing is spinning wheels until we can get to the climax. They still have to pump another 15 minutes out of this thing, I think. But And then, as you said, it very briefly gets into, you're here, but why are you here? Oh, I don't know. Oh, wait, it's because you're on TV and I'm supposed to tell you everything. Yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, her amnesia doesn't even last a conversation. They say, like, two other things and then she's like, oh, wait, my amnesia is gone now. And now yeah. I remember. I'm sure they just did it because... Uh... They just needed her to be, like, out of commission for a minute and not go find the family immediately. But they could have just had her remained unconscious from that coconut fall and then went and found the family. This reminds me, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched 24. In the first season, there is a definite couple episodes where they needed to figure out something to do with Kiefer Sutherland's wife. And she has amnesia for, like, three episodes until it conveniently no longer serves the plot and she can suddenly remember what's going on. <laughs> And that's exactly what happens with Portani in this film. And they say you're, and then Timmy, I don't even remember his name. He, he finds them. Tammy and the T-Rex. Tammy and the T-Rex. So while the T-Rex is with them, <laughs> Tammy comes and finds them. Taluga. Taluga and Tabitha are hanging out together on the island. <laughs> <laughs> and they find him, they're like, what are you doing here? And he says, I came to rescue you. And she says, yeah, because you're all on TV, to which case uh, Taluga says, actually right now, no, you're not. They get back onto the air, which leads us to the climax of the film, where they can't find the family, and suddenly... Well, once we should say one thing. While they're off the air, the parents meet back up and reconcile their differences. Oh, that's right. They do. They have a nice moment. They actually say, they basically just talk like a couple and say, yeah, I've been a little insecure because I lost my job. And she's like, it's cool. Thanks, hun. That's all it took. Uh, so we cut back to... Uh, I, I want to just call him Evan, so I'm just calling him Evan now. Evan and his sister are literally about to murder one another. And Timmy Meadows comes back, and just as she's about to kill him and push him off a cliff, and you reveal that his actual character flaw and the reason he has a love of chairs 
is because Lewis is afraid of heights. And assumably, so long as he is sitting in a chair, he cannot be pushed off a cliff. Timmy Meadows on his knees like, please, no, you don't have to go this far. I didn't actually want anybody to get hurt. She says, he's done too much. It's too late for him. And she murders her brother with a spear and pushes him off a cliff. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Roll credits. (laughs) No, because we're getting to my favorite part of the film. Timmy Meadows says, I can't believe it. I didn't want it to get this far. I just wanted to be entertaining. I really didn't want anybody to get hurt. Suddenly, we hear a helicopter. Now, this is the moment where you're thinking, oh, I get it. They're on an island. David Attenborough is going to show up and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> no. We cut to Dave Coulier in a helicopter <laughs> in the Just for Laugh Gags branded helicopter for Gotcha being like, Timmy Meadows, we just got you on your own show. And I got to say, in my entire 36 years of being alive, I have never been happier to see Dave Coulier ever. (laughs) It signified that this fucking train wreck of a movie was finally coming to an end. This was also the point. I'd written the note. I'd written down Dave Coulier's name because I remembered like, wait, wasn't Dave Coulier in this movie? Cuts (laughs) to him rising in a helicopter with a megaphone, underlined his name twice. And that it's revealed that the family was in on everything for the last 10 minutes. And I loved this because... Taluga has been on the island for 10 minutes and has just told the whole family, by the way, you're all on TV. We need to figure a way to get them back. Dave Coulier is there with a chopper within 10 minutes to get vengeance on Tim Meadows. He has the gotcha helicopter constantly gassed up and ready to go at the possibility of there being a really good prank somewhere in the world. It's never explained that uh, to Tallulah and uh, Taser face... (laughs) Uh, talk to uh, talk to uh, uh, Dave Coulier beforehand, right? It's never explained. No, I think like, I think they called him from the island. It, it is said that they set this up when they got to the island. This was all planned when, when they got, they to, got, the got to the island. So how how all tugboat had to do was bring his Nokia cell phone in two thousand and three, and he was able to get a direct line to Dave Coulier. He fell in the water. It's it's a Nokia thing, man. Those things are. Bricks, you can't destroy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's the reveal. The reveal is Shia LaBeouf isn't dead because he is hanging on to a rope ladder, dangling off of the Dave Coulier helicopter. As they (laughs) all Coulier helicopter is a sentence I didn't think I would ever hear in my life. As they all point and laugh at Tim Meadows and broadcast how Tim Meadows' career is over. They, they they pull him up to a camera, Dave Coulier revels in the opportunity to announce to the world that Tim Meadows is never going to get another job again. And that's basically the climax. It's a bit of a denouement, but I just want to I just want to point something out here. Wait, we got to talk about the denouement. Yeah, we will. But I, okay. before we get there, I just want to say something about this climax because there is there are too many twists in this movie. Uh <laughs> The narrative structure is fascinating, and I'm using fascinating as a synonym for bad, uh, because the first half of the movie is structured as a twist, essentially. Both the main characters and the audience have the same amount of information, and they are being left out of the key piece of information that is Tim Meadows is creating this Truman Show-esque facade for them. At the halfway point, the narrative structure then shifts into dramatic irony, where the audience is let in on the fact that this is all a lie, but the protagonists, the main characters, still don't know that. And then in the la- in the climax, 
they suddenly shift it once again into a sort of unreliable narrator scenario where the protagonists are lying to the audience and telling us that Ren is going to murder Shia LaBeouf. I, I've never seen a movie that does all three of those. It just shifts from one to the other. <laughs> it doesn't care. It does not care what position the audience is supposed to be in. Tell me about the denouement, Robbie. In this scene, my fourth genuine laugh of the film, because we've we've almost uh, covered everyone's character arc, right? The dad is okay that he doesn't have a job. Um, I guess Shia LaBeouf still doesn't have a chair, but he's overcome it. I think he's overcome that. I think, honestly, what we're supposed to take from this is that Shia LaBeouf has learned that he can also succeed by standing. I think so. On a rope ladder. Yep, I think so. He, he is just as powerful standing up as sitting down. But we're, Ren, she hasn't finished her character arc, right? She almost got with uh, Jason. Mutai. She kind of still likes him. For some inexplicable reason, despite the fact that he was creating a very racist yep. caricature to lie to her with. And it, and it has been revealed that he was only falling in love with her because he was being paid to do so. Yeah, but... She does need a man. Yep. So she's sitting forlorn on a rock wall. Shia LaBeouf just happens to be walking through a field and notices her and goes, oh, hey, goes over, talks to her and says, I know you need a man to be fulfilled. You should give Jason a chance. And then Jason just happens to be walking through that exact same field and goes, oh, hey, and Shia LaBeouf says, I'll leave you two to it. And he falls backwards off the rock wall. And that was my fourth laugh. I thought that was a funny bit of Ding. Ding. a funny bit of character bit. Jason apologized and says, it wasn't all a lie. I actually had feelings for you. I'm sorry. I literally tormented you, uh, you teenage girl. I'm really sorry that I did all these things. And she's like, it's okay, because I need a man. And they fall in love. Yeah, you know, it did just finally click on me. Yeah, he has a tattoo. He's at least 21 years old. She is supposed to be starting middle school. He is a professional actor, yeah. right? He took a gig on a TV show. He is not a teenager. Yeah. There's no tutor on that island. Yeah. They're not obeying the SAG, <laughs> you know, Screen Actors Guild limitations on how many hours no, no, you can no, no. work a minor. He is definitely over 18. To continue my, let's just go one little deeper. You just added another level to this plot of Timmy Meadows intentionally filming this movie on an <laughs> island five miles off the coast. There is no actor. There is this no. Is, uh, this is a Blackbeard's ghost in a legal limbo area. He's taking them out into international waters to film an illegal <laughs> TV show. That he can broadcast live. All right. So anyway, uh, I think that's it. Is the movie over? No, no, it's not. Because just when you think the fucking movie's over, the entire cast participates in a music video. Sung by Ren, <laughs> which was, what's it called? Dream Vacation. Dream Vacation. This is the part of the thing I don't get, is that they knew the movie was going to end with a music video. This wasn't some sort of fun montage, because all the characters sing it in, on location for the different locations they have. Uh-huh. Like, they filmed it in parts as they were filming. Yep. This was what the B-team was doing. They didn't sing the whole song. Yeah. They wrote a whole song and the, called Dream Vacation, but they didn't do the whole thing. Even they in the edit were like, oh, we got to cut away. This is too bad. And they stopped the song midway through and just went to generic score over the credits. I thought that was so funny. You go to all the trouble to write the song and you cut away. I was thankful. Uh, that was the best part of the movie, but it was finally <laughs> over. So that's the end of the movie. That's that's another Disney Channel original that we watched. Uh, there's it never 
played theatrically. Uh, apparently, the producers were pushing for a theatrical release, but it was the same year that the Lizzie McGuire movie was being released theatrically. And Disney said, we uh, we don't need more than one Disney Channel movie going theatrically. So this only played on the Disney Channel. Uh, it had 5.1 million viewers. 15 less than Family Fakeout. The Loki season finale received 1.9 million viewers over four days. This had more than double the viewership when it premiered on the Disney Channel. Oh my god. Uh, lots of people watch this stuff. This is what gave the world Shia LaBeouf. If only we could go back in time. <laughs> warn people. We're done with this. We're done with this fucking movie. No, we're not. No, we're not. Because I was just diving into the IMDb trivia and I found out where they put all the cleverness into the film and then negated to use it. What's that? Because the working title of this movie was the Even Stevens movie, The Stevens Get Even. Ooh. <laughs> I do have to say one other thing. I was looking around at some interviews and background stuff for this, and the one thing that jumped out at me was uh, the original pitch for this movie, because they were going to do a movie after the three seasons, after they pulled off the half Abed. They went into the Disney Channel with a pitch about Shia LaBeouf having to go on run on the run from the law because he does some crazy prank that goes too extreme. <laughs> and the Disney exec didn't like it. And whoever this Disney exec in charge of it apparently had just seen The Truman Show oh my and God. said to them, why don't you do something like The Truman Show? And they were like, okay. And they ran with that. Here's the thing. The Truman Show came out in 1998. And so it feels so perfect to me that there's some Disney exec. <laughs> just getting around to seeing The Truman Show. He like had like TNT late night on. <laughs> 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 oh, the Truman Show. I always meant to see that. And then the next day at the office, he's like, have you ever heard of the Truman Show? As if like no one's ever heard of this. He's like, oh, no, it's this movie I saw. It's really interesting. You should consider every this. Time, uh, every time that day at the office, he's like, in a case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And everyone's like, shut up, Bill. Someone's coming in to like pitch on the Lizzie McGuire movie. And he's like, you know, I just saw this movie called The Godfather. Uh <laughs> Could you make it more like that? Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> Marlon Brando was in it. You know, the guy from uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, my God. By the way, I know Marlon Brando wasn't in Rebel Without a Cause. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all right. Anything else to add before we wrap this up? I guess we got to rank it, right? Yeah, we got to rank it. Robbie, what are you ranking? Oh, I didn't. You think I would have thought of this. Um, It is not the worst. Bullwhip Griffin is Bullwhip Griffin. Well, you didn't see the 2018 Freaky Friday movie, so... Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Bubba Griffin is still at the bottom. Um, All right. But this is probably just above that. That aside, Bullwhip Griffin is a movie. The same cannot be said for the Even Stevens movie. I don't know, Bobby. It is called the Even Stevens movie. <laughs> it's right in there in the title. It, just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. You can put it in the title if you want. <laughs> is that its own category? Is that in its own ranking? All right. So you're putting this at the bottom? Uh, I think depending on the day you're going to ask me, it's I, 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 it's either going to be this one or Bullwhip Griffin. They're, they're... You know, at least Bullwhip Griffin had the good nature to put a warning at the beginning <laughs> about all the races. <laughs> I'm, putting, I'm putting this below Bullwhip Griffin, but above 2018 Freaky Friday, be, which, is, which is continuing to slowly drive me insane. I'm going to have to start making a spreadsheet. I will create a spreadsheet so that we can remember all of these. Okay. Uh, do we know what we're doing next? You said uh, you wanted to do Flight of the Navigator. It next. I do want to do Flight of the Navigator. Is that what we're going to do next? Yeah. And hopefully not racist. I don't know, man. It is in the 80s, but we'll find out. Uh, Flight of the Navigator, uh, next time. Join us. The podcast. I think we got to say our buys. All right. 
We got to say bye. Well, in case I don't see you. (laughs) (laughs) Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. That's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks.